everybody, and welcome to Chalk Talk. I'm Mike Simpson, superintendent of Guthrie Public Schools, and with us today we have two rock stars from our central office of Guthrie Public Schools. Uh, you, you may or may not know these folks, but they are people that make our district hum every day, and we're going to talk a little bit with Doug Ogle, assistant superintendent, and Carmen Walters, executive director that oversees our federal program. So welcome to Chalk Talk, guys. Thanks. Well, welcome to be here. Uh, talk a little bit about, um, to introduce to the listeners, uh, maybe who you are and, and what, uh, what you've done, do for the district, and also uh, what, uh, how long you've been here and, and a little bit about yourself. Uh, Carmen, let's, let's start off with you. Well, I'm Carmen Walters. I'm the executive director for the district. Uh, this year will complete my 10th year working here for Guthrie Public Schools. I run the federal programs department, also do a lot with curriculum and all of the federal programs that kind of go with that. One of the things with the new ESSER money is having the money to do things for students and staff that we've never been able to do. So I feel privileged to be a part of that. And that's been a really easy task to take take on because it's been so smooth, right? Very smooth with <laughs> little of work. <laughs> Doug, uh, tell, tell everybody about you a little bit. Well, I'm Doug Ogle. I'm assistant superintendent uh, entering, uh, I guess it's my ninth year with the district. Uh, my role with the district is um, human resources, so I deal a lot with personnel, and I'm over secondary ed. Um, so I have some other duties that I do over transportation. Um, but uh, for the most part, uh, with 460 employees, dealing with uh, the human resource takes much of my time. And you didn't mention other duties as a sign. Neither one of you did. I I'm, I'm appreciate that a lot. Um, not that that ever happens. Okay, so, so let's, let's rewind. Let's go back to March 13th of 2020. And... That was a Friday, and what happened? To uh, talk a little bit about that from from your perspectives, what what happened there? Well, uh, let's see. We were at spring break, and all of a sudden, uh, we find out that uh, everything was going to shut down. And so, um, one of the things that I had to, to do was um, dealing with fraudulent unemployment claims uh, first off, and so. Uh, while we were shut down, we were still coming in, working two or three hours uh, with some of our staff that were getting those claims. But also, in the meantime, trying to figure out what we could do for our students. Uh, for me, with the secondary level, um, whether we were going to open back up or if we just had to uh, continue with some type of form of education. That's right. Folks may not remember, but we weren't sure if we were going to open back up in the spring of 2020 or not until, uh, gosh, I think it was mid to late April when we, when that decision finally was made. And Carmen, uh, talk a little bit about, from your perspective, what all was going on at that time. Well, I remember it uh, very vaguely, but I remember being in Branson, Missouri, having a great time on spring break, and Dr. Simpson is asking us all to come back, and we need to talk about something. And I just remember thinking, I don't understand why we're at this point. And just a lot of trying to, in my head, just, you know, this is United States of America. What's going on? And I remember coming back and just the realization that everyone was wearing a mask. It was required to wear a mask and that we were at a time that we've never been before. 
And like Mr. Ogle said, there were a lot of decisions, uh, principals and teachers, what are we going to do? What's the plan? And it was literally just a a day-to-day thing of trying to wrap your head around such a different time in education. Yeah, it was was definitely a a twilight zone moment. The thing that I I remember that really kind of stirs my memory the most is during that time we were closed walking through school buildings and it was like time stood still. Um, it was, uh, it was almost something out of a Stephen King movie about, uh, because the, the buildings were just abandoned, but everything was as it was to go off on spring break. And, and it stayed that way until we started cleaning out some, um, personal belongings and things like that. So it was really, it was a weird time without a doubt for, uh, for families, for students, uh, for educators, uh, for all of us trying to keep um, learning going on. And so uh, we've, then we, we made the decision in uh, August of 2020 that we were going to open full-time in person five days a week. A lot of districts were going back and forth. Talk a little bit about uh, what, what that was like for you guys uh, when we made the decision to go back uh, five days a week and and try and open and have school? Well, first, I think for the secondary was, is what do we have to do to keep the kids and the staff safe? And so the principals got together and looked at each site specifically and um, decided, uh, since I'm over secondary, was it guess what would that look like? Um, Would they change classes? Would they stay in the same classroom? Uh, and Miss Davis and the principal there decided that um, what she would like to do to keep the staff safe was that the students would stay in one classroom and the teachers would rotate classrooms. And so that was a change from just before COVID of what that instruction would look like. And so it would take the kids a little bit of adjustment there. Uh, the junior high went ahead and um, did the same thing they were doing, but just changed the movement. Uh, same thing at the high school, uh, just the flow of the building. And so making you know small changes like that, seating charts, and uh, just trying to figure out a way to make it safe for everybody in the building. I would say for the elementary, being over the elementary education, it was these are little kids. They're used to being at centers. They're used to touching everything. And now with seating charts and how do we keep them apart when they're used to, you know, group interactions and just totally having to rethink the way that we do things. And, you know, just constantly looking at am I exposing this this student or am I being exposed and the wearing of the mask and the students and it was just a whole way of where it was such an engaging type of educational experience. And how do we want to isolate this? What does that look like? And so it was a lot of planning. Okay, I'm going to ask both of you to level with me. How long do you think we would have been in school that first uh, last year when we started? I would say probably two or three weeks. I, f- <laughs> I figured that uh, we would uh, hit a high mark that we would have to go to distance learning. <laughs> I was guessing for about a month. Well, I, I privately, uh, you know, I'll confess uh, to you guys, I figured maybe three weeks, but I, uh, so I was kind of in between both of you on the deal, but, um, you know, we were able to get it done. And, and so, so what, fast forward a little bit further along and, and we got uh, the way, the way we deliver education has changed somewhat. Um, 
and I think it's going to continue to to evolve with some of this stuff. Uh, you know, the, the the big debate that we've had uh, on social media locally is a snow day versus a, a distance learning day, and and uh, I know that there's people that feel strongly about about that, but uh, we we did have to pivot, as it were, and develop a way to deliver instruction uh, online and and through distance learning, even though we were in-person instruction. And so uh, with that, with all of the pandemic came a lot of federal aid. And with that federal aid, we got uh, a little over $9.7 million that uh, and I remember sitting down with both of you around the conference table in my office where we've we've sat around that table many times and, and talked about how do we cut. And now we're talking about how do we spend. And it was a it was kind of a it, either conversation is challenging because uh, allocation of resources, whether you're you have a surplus or you you have a, uh, a shortage uh makes for challenging decisions. But so we, we developed a lot of things. And Carmen, I know that you've um, worked very hard to identify places to, to serve our kids and, I, and along with Doug on these items. But um, talk, let's talk a little bit about what are we doing with this $9.7 million and, uh, and, and how is it helping kids? Well, the first thing I would say is that our instructional mode had to be able to shift in a moment's notice to virtual. And what did that look like for parents? What did that look like when these students went home? Typically, we would have paper packets if the student was going to be out. And now with the virtual setting, it was going to be more of a technology-based. And then we looked at where we were on our technology, and we were not yet to a one-to-one. And so the first thing that we needed to do was how do we get there and utilizing this money and buying Chromebooks and looking at programs so that when we did have to uh, switch to a virtual setting, we would be academically prepared. And so we ordered enough Chromebooks for, um, we hope, all the students. And we ordered curriculum. And one of the things with having that money is, I do remember sitting at that table and just questioning, oh, wow, and just, you know, when, what's the catch or, you know, what, <laughs> what, 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 what am I missing? Because I've never been in education that had millions of dollars and I've always had to scale it back or find something here. And we were able to look at quality programs. And uh, Dr. Simpson mentioned to me at one of his meetings that someone was utilizing the online program of Waterford. And so upon several meetings with them and the online academic uh, program that it had and really looking at that, that was something that we wanted to invest in for the three years that this money would be available. And so that's one of the first things that we did is getting that program and getting the Chromebooks. And that has really helped with the individualized uh, education. All these students are on all different levels. And so some are on grade levels, some are not. Some are going back and forth from home to an online type of setting. And so it was really difficult to level all the students. So we really wanted to put that money into the technology. We also had the money to get some outside resources. And we have three outstanding school-based service specialists. 
they're not social workers, but what they do is they're actually DHS employees and they work with us and all kinds of referrals for things that students may need, uh, whether it's counseling, whether it's a program, whether it's help with clothing or food. And they've also been able to uh, help our staff with any of their mental health needs that they may have that the pandemic has, you know, made some type of an effect on them. And then another thing. Okay, before we, before we go on, let's, let's go back. Okay, let's talk a little bit more about Waterford. What, why do we have it? What's it geared for? What students is it helping, and and what's what, let's talk a little bit about why are we doing that? Well, Waterford has a math and reading program, and one of the things with the state-approved test for RSA that we do with the STAR testing and these two R- RSA. Let's say what that is. Remember, okay. we're not talking to educators here. Uh, the RSA is um, it's the Reading um, Sufficiency Act, and so you got to be able to read by your third grade year. Correct. Okay. On grade level. And so one of the things that we did that we liked about this is that it had pre-K through fourth grade curriculum. So no matter where a student was in math reading, it started them at their level. And so once they took kind of a pretest, then the questions would continue to getting harder. And then once they were not able to answer them, then we were able to level them. So each student was able to work on their reading and work on their math and improve them individually so that with that gain, we would see more gains as to getting everyone kind of caught up the best we could on grade level. So just to just a refresher here for everyone, if your student is is not reading on grade level by the end of their second grade year, what happens? Well, with the um, way the law is written is that they would be retained. Okay, so so this program is designed to catch those kids up that maybe weren't with us or were uh, getting behind because of the closure in March and and many students that did not return to us last year because they thought, whatever reason, they, they chose to go somewhere else or something along those lines. And so, so I think that's an important distinction. And, and how is Waterford working out? It's funny you asked me that. I just met with a principal this morning, and we look at our beginning of the year data and the middle of the year data and then the end of the year. And when we were going over the reading, normally what you'll see is green means that the student is on grade level, yellow means they're kind of in the middle, almost there, and then red would mean that they are not on grade level. And when I was holding up the reading and looking at everything, I saw more green on that chart than I think I have ever seen. And that was kind of an aha moment that we were were making a difference here. And even though it was all individualized working with kids, it's coming together and saw the same things, you know, on the math. I will say that I saw more on the reading portion of it, but just all kinds of green. And that tells me this quickly, this program is working. You know, the, the RSA law, uh, we it was enacted a few years back, and the the whole thing about that is we want kids to be able to read on grade level before we promote them, so that we don't socially and uh, promote them. And that was a, a thing uh, that I th- I believe there that may have been going on some. Uh, I don't know that it was as bad as what the legislature tried to paint it when they passed the law, but uh, but then no one could have envisioned 
that we would be faced with a pandemic. And, and you know, the thing about that group of kids that I, that I go back to is that group of kids has been affected not only by the pandemic and the shutdown of school, but they were also affected by the uh, teacher walkout and and then also when we were open last year we were uh, with the quarantines the way we were told we had to do them we were sending a lot of healthy kids home that weren't learning and so that group of kids has experienced a whole lot in their time Uh, and and granted all the others have too but that that option that that opportunity to learn how to read has has greatly impacted that that group, and I know that that you and I sat in a meeting with uh, the elementary principals where we talked about the numbers of of students that are in jeopardy of being retained because they are behind, and uh, and the how important Waterford is or all the other efforts that we're doing to, to get them across the finish line to be able to read. So I, I appreciate what you're doing there. Now, now, as we talk about that, now transition into the school-based social uh, uh, DHS staff that we have and what their, their services are that they're providing. Well, the school-based service specialists, we have three of them, and they are, when you want to talk about rock stars, they are rock stars. And before we started noticing a high range of DHS referrals. In the 10 years I've been here, I started um, tracking it and each year they were getting higher and higher. And so that, that concerned me. And with them and working with the DHS, it was what, what's going on with the families? Is it a, is it a lack of resources? Is it um, a lack of parenting? Is it a lack of just having funds to take care of their kids? Uh, we had two incidents that really kind of broke my heart. And one of them is um, a little child wasn't doing well. And upon really talking with them, they, they couldn't see. And so they arranged and got the child some glasses, got them paid for. And, you know, something that there's only so much time in the day. And with being able to have someone work with you and get those services, it doesn't get left off the table. Another thing that kind of stood out to me is a child, I think they're in first grade, and coming to the office saying, you know, I, I don't feel good. My, my mouth hurts. And, you know, looking at this little child and just, you know, rotted teeth and, and uh, you know, he, he, he was in pain and reaching out and getting dental care and just anything like that. And so they have built a wonderful rapport with our staff. And so now they are able to go up and say, what do you think is going on, you know, with this child? And then also one of the things that I really appreciate is on some of these DHS situations where we've reported things time and time again, they get on it. And what maybe we couldn't move as quickly for results, they get it done. And so they have been a huge asset. And I think that I I know personal stories similar to what you shared the uh, the other part of this is uh, many times parents view DHS as uh, the agency that will come take their children versus the agency that is here to provide assistance and help that they need. And I think having that rapport with the kids is, is critical along with, uh, quite frankly, the rapport with parents um, where they realize that this is not 
this is not a gotcha. This is a help you uh, opportunity. Because those stories that you're sharing, they're, they're real. They, they've happened. That's not, uh, that's not something we've made up. And so I think it's, it's, a, it's a huge bridge of uh, assistance that we've been able to provide thanks to these funds. Um, so, in, you know, you, you touched on the, the Chromebooks and, you know, ordering technology is great. Getting it in is, is a little bit more of a challenge sometimes, uh, especially in these supply chain uh, times, but there's one other element that I wanted to touch on um, with the DHS that I know that is something that's very important to you, Carmen, and and to all of our students, and that's our, our ELL coordinator and the work that she's doing with our students, and you want to talk a little bit about that one? That would be my fourth rock star. <laughs> uh, she is fantastic. We started noticing, and you wouldn't typically think, okay, Guthrie and a growing EL population, but we really started to see um, many more EL students and a lot of them. And again, tell, tell the listeners what an EL student is. That is an English language learner. You sometimes hear it referred to as ELL for English language learner, but most of the time it'll be just EL for English language. And so what is that? What that means is that they have a either a language barrier where maybe they don't understand English and they just speak Spanish, or they have someone within their home that speaks Spanish, and so they may speak English, but they also may have some things that in translation get mi- that gets missed by that. Okay. So talk a little bit about what uh, what we've got our ELL coordinator EL coordinator. Uh, doing? Well, when we first got her, we started noticing uh, the highest EL percentages were at Charter Oak, one of our newest elementary school. But as the year started going on, we noticed that at the junior high and at the high school and some of the other sites, I know at guess as well, we started seeing students that came here straight from Mexico. And I remember one of the things whenever before we had our coordinator, our EL coordinator was, we'll just, you know, order the, the textbooks in Spanish. And, you know, when they're not the same curriculum and they're not on the grade level that we are, then that doesn't fix the program. And so what she's been able to do is be a wonderful liaison between those families and by being able to reach out to them I think you know with the language barrier she's really with those parents are not afraid to come to her with true concerns and I really think it's made a a big difference. So we're we're reaching out to the families um, of students that generally English is not spoken in the home and we're providing resources and in many cases better understanding of what we're trying to do at school to get that parental support. Is that is that a fair statement? Very much so. And just it's it's very positive. And, you know, I think it could get out there that maybe they didn't want to be involved with the education, but if you have a language barrier, you don't you don't know how to Yeah, you're you're probably embarrassed uh when you, you walk in and everyone is speaking English uh and and it's uh and you don't speak the language and you don't know what they're talking about and you don't want to embarrass your child by this notion that because you don't speak the same language, you're not as intelligent. And I think that's an important distinction is in many cases what we found is that the, the level of cognition and understanding once the language barrier is overcome is, is on par. But 
when you when you have a language barrier, it's it's not any different than the than the child you mentioned earlier that that the vision was was an impediment for them learning. Well, you, it's kind of hard to read if you can't see, and and so I think that's a that's an important piece to this puzzle that that Miss Solace adds as as she reaches out to these families, and we're we're trying to meet these families where they are and bring them bring them forward. Um, well, I've, Carmen, I've, I've grilled you a lot on this for a little bit, but uh, uh, Doug, uh, talk a little bit about the secondary and some of the programs that you've been a uh, part of that we've been uh, that we've added some COVID uh, money to, and and what's going on at the secondary level or wherever else that we that you're in, oversee. Well, I think I'll first start. Um, we noticed as a district that education was changing uh, before the pandemic even started, and so. Um, before uh, March and the pandemic, we had started our Blue Jay Academy that school year um, and offered uh, students that uh, could go through the process and met the criteria to do an online program. And so we wouldn't lose those students to maybe uh, another charter school or online school. And so we could keep them uh, with Guthrie Public Schools. And so we had 55 students that went through that program and had a 92% uh, success rate with those students. Um, COVID hits, um, and so uh, the next school year, uh, we went from 55 students to 260 students uh, in our Blue Jay Academy. And so one of the things that we looked at was staffing. Uh, Dr. Simpson, Carmen, and I sat down, and we knew that that student-teacher uh, ratio was going to be down. Um, but at the same time, we did not want to lose our great teachers in a teacher shortage time as well. And so we used some of that money to keep our staffing um as what we had pre-COVID, and so our uh, students that were in brick and mortar um, had a good student-teacher ratio, and we were also able to up our Blue Jay Academy uh, for those 260 students. Um, it's one of the things that we looked at at the secondary level when I met with the principals is um, we lost 25% of our students um, during uh, last school year. Um, just several of them went online. We talked about the 260 um, but uh, we had about 700 students that were not in the district that were with us previous, and so we did not know how many of those students would be back um, this school year. And so one of the things we kn knew that we had to do was how do we remediate the kids that were out, those 700 when they come back. And so um, visiting with the principals, we knew that we needed some supplemental things that we could do to send home with kids and use in the classroom as well. And so it uh, started the upper elementary. Um, one of the things that they had used that the state had provided funding for the previous year was ExactPath. It's a supplemental online uh, courseware that they can use in class. It's online. They can use it at home. And so if we go to distance learning, the, the teachers could give assignments on the exact path as well. And so we purchased that. Uh, so every student in fifth and sixth grade would have um, the exact path. Um, we also added um, one of the things that we noticed um, with uh, Angie Young, our director of special services, was that we did not have a courseware that was modified enough for our special education students. And so um, we um, were able to purchase uh, online courseware that was specific to those students. So Miss Young and her uh, teachers that teach our um, special education students would have a courseware that they would be able to use a supplemental as well. But if we were out just like we were for bad weather, they would be able to be successful on an online program. So we were able to purchase some seats like that. Um, 
edge annuity that we use in our Blue Jay Academy and we also use for credit recovery. Uh, we were able to purchase every student 7th through 12th uh, a seat for that. Um, not every student and not every teacher is going to utilize that, uh, but we have the opportunity um, to be able to offer that for any students um, that would need it if we do have to go to distance learning. Like we said, uh, we were all over the map from two two weeks to a month if we thought we were going to be in school. So we did a lot of training uh, right when we came back uh, with Edgenuity in case we had to um, go to online um, sooner than later. And so um, last thing that we did was um, we looked at how can we get to that um, – one-to-one ratio, especially in our core classes. And so we looked at how many Chromebooks we had available in guests, the junior high and the high school. And so one of the things that we looked to make sure that we could do was provide a Chromebook for each student that was in class and a cart um, in each one of those core classes. And so that's what we used the money for was to be able to put the technology in the student's hand, um, supplemental online for each student, and then looked at each one of those specific groups, whether it was special education, whether it was our AP classes or our Blue Jay online um, students that uh, we could make them be successful and help remediate if we needed to. So we're trying to, with with both the elementary and secondary, we're working hard to meet them where they are, get them across uh, with showing growth, despite the fact that we were shut down for a, a nine weeks. And then additionally, in many cases, the students were, um, they because of the educational platform they had, uh, learning did not go on at the rate that the that the experts say it should, I think, is, is that a fair statement with, with what we've got going on? And so, so we've got to catch them up. And I, I remember listening to experts say that we've got to catch them up over, you can't do it overnight. You've got to do it over a, a two-year period. And everybody kind of thought that the two-year period started uh, at the start of, the, of last year's school year. Well, I think with with what we've determined in Guthrie, uh, with the number, you know, Doug, you mentioned we were down 25% of our students. And I, and with, with them returning in most cases uh, as this school year started, uh, I, I'm almost sure that the, the two-year window started this year, not last year. Uh, but with all of the things that we've got going on and the things that we've done, uh, we're we are in a completely different world than we were before uh, before March of 2020, I'd say, because of the technology we have available, even though some of them are still in shipping crates and uh, on docks somewhere, as, uh, at least that's kind of what we've been told. But uh, what do you guys see going forward? What, what do you see on, on uh, you know, we've got some more of this ESSER money. We've got to sustain some of this stuff. What, uh, what's you guys' vision for for what looks what we look at ahead of us well one of the things that i'll say is i'm very proud of our staff Um, we've asked them to not only teach brick and mortar we've also asked them to teach online in in an essence is because um last year we had the kids that you know that were quarantined whether they were um actually you know tested positive or they were in contact or close proximity Uh, And so teachers were having to prepare two lessons, and so they were frustrated. Uh, And this year, um, with the numbers going down, uh, you know, I think it's starting to get back to a little bit of normalcy for those teachers. And so hopefully that uh, we're getting close to the end of that. But 
some of the things that we can take from this um, is we have learned uh, ways to adapt. Uh, we've learned that every student uh, learns a little bit different. And so meeting each student where they're at, um, being able to offer some of those advanced classes online for some of those um, students that can meet that uh, criteria and want to do that. Um, I think, you know, we're getting to a situation that uh, we're changing with time and our teachers are as well. I'd kind of piggyback off of that. And our staff has been amazing and just having to react on the fly. And they have been so good about that. And one of the things that I see as we move forward is getting their input and listening to them. This is what, you know, we're utilizing. Tell me, is this working? And just really looking at ways to support each other. I've seen staff go and help cover at another school site. And it's just always just wanting to do things that are best for students in the district. But I just see supporting them and making sure that the resources, uh, whether it's technology, curriculum, is meeting the needs of our students and also is it giving them tools to teach in an effective way? I think those are great points. The, uh, you didn't, none of us went to, went to college to learn how to deal with a pandemic. That was not a course that, uh, that any of us took. And the, the amount of resilience that our staff and our students have developed as we stayed open last year, uh, and, and I, I came to the conclusion uh, that it, it was harder to stay open than it would have been to go to an either an A-B schedule or, or uh, completely distance learning, but it was not, uh, it was ultimately it was what was best for our students. And, and the fact that our staff bought into that and accepted that and jumped on board and f- just and found a way to make it work is something that, uh, you know, you, you can't have them. You can't be proud enough of them because of what they've what they've been through and what they've done. Uh, it's it's part of a bigger culture. I think that we've we've witnessed in Guthrie as we put students first, uh, regardless of the uh, obstacles to overcome. And and so the resilience that our kids have and the resilience that our staff has is something that that I I can't say enough about how much I appreciate that. And I know that that you guys. Um, we all communicate that, but I know that you guys do directly to the principals, and and the work that uh, that we've done is is really when you look back on it, when you're in the middle of it, you don't see it because you're you know you're just nose to the grindstone trying to figure it out. But when you look back on it, it's pretty amazing. Um, is there anything else that you guys would like to share with the with the listeners about uh, about this, or anything else that you want to talk about before uh, before we call it an episode? Well, I think that uh, if there's anybody out there that uh, is sitting at home and wants to make a difference, <laughs> here we, it always, comes. <laughs> we always need substitutes. And so um, we've uh, kind of get, got a little incentive going uh, to make some extra money if you uh, sub a certain amount of days um, going towards the end of the year. But springtime is always the busiest time for um, especially the secondary with all the sports that are going on. And so trying to keep that, the kids in the classroom with an adult uh, and keeping them on task and learning. Um, we need an, a, a sub in there. And so if anybody that's interested, uh, please call our office and we can put you to work. I knew we wouldn't get past it without an altar call from Doug. <laughs> I just want to kind of reach out to parents and just encourage you to communicate with your child's teacher, with that school's administrator. I don't think that you'll find a 
more of a just a kind receptive audience than what you will see at these sites and even with the curriculum and maybe at home you're still seeing you know maybe some things that your child you feel like you need some help with and and it you know schools change from when I went to school to where we are now and the way that we teach it may be different and so I know many parents say well that's not how my teacher told me how to do it and that's okay just reach out to them and you know we're here to help you and uh, just don't be afraid to reach out. That was great, great points. I know I, with the distance learning uh, with my own children, I at times struggled with it because it's, uh, we do teach things differently and I'm, um, you know, try to not bite my tongue too much in front of my kids. And I know that uh, other parents maybe go through that too. And so reaching out is a, is a great, uh, great advice there. I, I can't thank both of you enough for the work that you've done to make a difference in this district and and I uh, any chance I get to thank both of you publicly I want to take an opportunity to do so and so thanks for being with us today Uh, appreciate everything that you do for uh, for our kids and for our staff and so uh, I think this will this will be a wrap for this edition we we truly appreciate you joining us Uh, this has been Chalk Talk and for Doug Ogle and Carmen Walters I'm Mike Simpson thanks a lot for joining us